This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Thank God for amazing grace. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. We're walking through the, the book of Ephesians and we have come to uh, one of uh, just the um, most classic texts in the, in the New Testament. And it really, it tells us our story. You know, each of us has a testimony. Each of us has our individual story of, of how we came to Christ and what has happened to us and how that, that played out in, in, in different ways. But, but really, what we're looking at today, this, this is all of our story, right? This is a story of every believer that we see in this text. This is what has happened to us. We have been brought from death to life. Let's see what what God has for us today. Ephesians chapter 2, and let's look at verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too, all previously, lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so Father, we we thank you for the new life, for the resurrection that that you have given to all all who are in Christ, that you have brought us from death to life. We we pray that as we we look at this passage today that, that we would just marvel at your amazing grace and and what you have done for us. And Lord, that that also you would give us a a passion to spread this message and to see others transition from death to life. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Um, The British preacher Leonard Ravenhill once said that Christianity is not about making bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. Jesus did not 
die for our sins on the cross and rise from the dead so that a few tweaks can be made to your old life. He died and rose again so that you could have new life. And that's what we see here. This text very neatly breaks down into two parts. In verses one through three, we, we see our lives before Christ. And then in verses four through 10, we see what has happened because of Christ. We see what God has done for us, how he saved us, and now what our, what our purpose is as we live for his, his glory. In verses one through three, we see our, our BC before Christ, before Christ. Let's look at verses one through three. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth once told a story about a guy who was, was, was riding on horseback during the night and he was trying to reach a, a town on the edge of Lake Constance. Lake Constance is a huge lake that borders Switzerland and, and Germany and, and Austria. And so this guy is riding on his horse at night and he, he wants to reach this, this town on the edge of the lake and his plan is to stay the night there in this, this inn and then get up in the morning and take the ferry across the lake. And so he's checking into this, this little inn and he asks the guy at the desk, you know, how, do I, how do I get to the uh, the, the ferry, because I, I need to, I need to, in the morning, I need to, you need, I need to cross the lake. And the guy says, you just crossed it. <laughs> what had happened was, in the, in the darkness, he, did, he didn't know where he was going, and so he had actually crossed the frozen lake on horseback in the dark, and he was struck by the peril of that, the, the danger of that, the situation that he was in, and he didn't even know it. And when we're not in Christ, we have no idea how perilous our situation truly is. But, but we see the peril of that situation here, of our lives before Christ in verses one through three, what does he say about it? He says in verse one, and, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dr. Erwin Lutzer, who pastored Moody Church in Chicago for many years, would teach a, a course in preaching adjunctively at, at Trinity Divinity School outside of Chicago. But every, every year, they, for his preaching class, they would take a field trip and they would go to a local cemetery. And Dr. Lutzer would point to one of the gravestones and he would say to people in the class, he, he, would, he would say, hey, preach the gospel to Mr. Smith here, whatever the name was on the gravestone. <laughs> They'd look at him like he was crazy. And Dr. Lutzer would begin to preach to this headstone. Mr. Smith, Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead. Repent of your sins and trust in him. 
And then he would look at the class and he would say, this is what you're gonna be doing. When you preach the gospel to lost people, this is what you're doing. And you can preach your heart out, but nothing's gonna happen unless God does a miracle and gives them the life to, to listen and respond. But praise God, he does miracles, right? It's a miracle working God. And he, he makes people alive. He, he brings spiritual resurrection. But before Christ, that's what we had to have. Because what, what was our situation? Dead in sin. What, what else does he say here about our before Christ lives? He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. So the, the ways of this world are the world's values and ways of thinking it's the culture around us. It's what we imbibe without even really thinking about it. The ways of this world. There's, there's a story about uh, two young fish that are swimming along and, and, and there's an, an older fish that's swimming towards them. <laughs> and the older fish coming towards them says to them, hey boys, how's the water? And the two young fish just keep on swimming. And one young fish looks at the other young fish and says, what in the world is water? The ways of this world is to us like water is to a fish. It's what's around you all the time and you're not even thinking about it. But if you're not being formed in Christ, then what's happening is you are being formed. You are being conformed by the ways of this world and you're imbibing it and you're being conformed by it without even thinking about it because you know it's like the air that we breathe. It's just all around us. And if we're not being formed in Christ, then what's happening is our, our thinking and our mindset and our, all of that is, is being shaped by the ways of this world. That's the way it was for us before Christ. What else does he say here about our before Christ lives? He says that we, were, we walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. That's Satan. And so before Christ, now obviously we weren't, you know, consciously trying to serve Satan. But in reality, whether we were aware of it or not, we were being manipulated by him, played by him. What else do we see here about our before Christ lives? He says in verse three, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and, and, and thoughts. In, in other words, before Christ, we were, we were living by instinct. We were living by just kind of wherever our desires took us. And we thought we were free 
in doing that. We, we thought we were like free moral agents, you know, that were just kind of doing whatever we wanted to do. But in reality, we weren't free at all. <laughs> we were being enslaved by our, our, our thoughts and, and desires and instinct. It wasn't leading to freedom, it was leading in the opposite direction, to slavery. And he says at the end of verse three that, that we were like, like children under wrath. Yikes. Our situation w w was like someone who's, who's crossing that, that frozen lake in the darkness on thin ice and not even knowing it. Before Christ. But then in verses four and following, we see another BC. But Christ. <laughs> but Christ. Look at verses four and five. But God. <laughs> Those are two of the sweetest words in the Bible, right? We just saw what, what, what our lives were, the reality of our lives before Christ. But then what? But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. You were spiritually dead, and now you're spiritually alive. Why? Why? Simply because God is rich in mercy and great in love. Simply because he saved you by grace. That word saved, when you see the word saved in your, in your Bible, the, the, the meaning there is, is rescue. We've been rescued and it came totally from the outside. Purely because of the love and mercy and grace of God. Back in the winter, I took our, our puppy Jeter, who's a, a chocolate lab, and, and so he loves to retrieve, he loves the water. And so um, I took him down to the end of our street to the lake to retrieve, and I have a, a floating chew toy uh, that I throw out there, you know, 25, 35 yards, and he's a maniac, he just, crashes into the water and he runs out there, he swims out there and he, and he, he gets the thing in his teeth and he, he swims right back. We had done this dozens of times. Um, but on this particular day, when we went down to the edge of the lake, there, were, there was a, a bunch of geese down there and they were tame. People had been feeding them and stuff. So they just kind of, they don't, they don't scatter when they see a dog or a human being or anything. They're just kind of like there. And so, I should have said at that point, like, buddy, we're, we're not gonna retrieve today. <laughs> You're gonna get too distracted. But rookie mistake, uh, I forged ahead. And so I had thrown it out there a few times, he was fine, but he was getting more distracted and agitated and I, by the geese. And I should have just kind of called it quits at that point, but, but didn't, threw it, threw it out there again. And so he swims out there and then the geese start swimming away from us, out across the lake, and Jeter swims after them. <laughs> and he won't come back. And the direction that he's going is not like straight across the lake, it's almost, it's at an angle. So it would have been like 
700 yards or so, you know, before he ever got to land. It was a terrible wind that day. The water was choppy. I, I knew instantly, this is, this is bad. This is, this is trouble. Um, and so into Lake Mead, I plunged. Did I mention that the temperature was in the low 30s and the wind chill was in the low 20s? But I wasn't thinking about any of that. It never crossed my mind. I just immediately saw danger and was going in after him. I had on many layers of clothes that day, <laughs> including a hoodie, a heavy hoodie sweatshirt that instantly felt like a bag of concrete draped over me when I went into the lake. On top of the hoodie, I had on a heavy hunting jacket that is, that's the heaviest piece of clothing that I own. And so almost immediately I'm sensing like, you know, the winds in my face, I'm, I'm weighted down. Now, I was trained and certified as a lifeguard in my 20s, I'm still a really strong swimmer, but still, this is like the, the, the weight I'm just feeling like, and so I managed to unzip the hunting jacket, uh, get that off, just leave it there. Found it months later, somebody had draped it on a fire hydrant at the, at the edge of Lake Mead, <laughs> true story. But I didn't care about it at the moment. I just stripped that thing off and left it in the middle of the lake. All I cared about was that precious puppy. And so um, I'm keeping my eye on him the, the, the whole time, calling out to him. Finally, like in the middle of the lake, he stops and turns around. And, you know, and we kind of kind of meet and I, I get my hand on his collar. And then we've got to get back. <laughs> and so, and so I've, I've got him in one hand. I'm, I'm using the old lifeguard skills. I'm doing the side stroke, you know, and, 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 and getting back and, and calling out to God for strength the whole time because by the time we got back to where my, it was shallow enough to where my feet could hit the, 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 the ground, um, I, had, I was about, I'd given everything that I could give, but praise God. We were there, and I, dro I can tell you, I dropped to my knees right there <laughs> and, th and thank God for it. But I thought about that situation a lot, and, and especially in reference to this, this particular text. It was rescue from the outside, which is what it always is when, when God saves us. We don't save ourselves. It's, it comes from outside of us to we don't understand the, the peril that we're in, just like he didn't understand how dangerous that situation was. We don't get it either, but we are. It's a perilous situation. But here's the main thing. I think about my absolute fierce determination to get to him. Because in that moment, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about the the, the, the air temperature or the water temperature or hypothermia or, or any of that. I was locked in absolutely fiercely determined that I was gonna, I was gonna get to him. Oh, that God 
would give us as believers. That kind of fierce determination and love for those around us who are not in Christ. That we would spend ourselves and be spent in a selfless way to try to rescue the perishing who are dying without Christ, who are going down without him here in our own community and around the world. Oh, that the Holy Spirit would give us a passion, a fierce love to see people come to know him. Notice here in verse five that he says that, that he made us alive with Christ. That's fascinating. He doesn't just say that he made us alive. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in trespasses. And then he says what in verse six? He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So verse five, it says that he, he made us alive with Christ. And then in verse six, he raised us up with Christ. And then also in verse six, he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. So in all three of these uh, phrases, there's a, a prefix in, in, in Greek that means like with. It's the, it's the prefix sin, not S-I-N, S-Y-N. And it's where we get the English word sync, synchronize. Now we use, that, we use that word a lot in our day and age with all of our devices, right? Because we got to get our devices what synced. I, when I read book, I read physical handheld books a lot of times, but sometimes I'll get books on a Kindle, and so um, I'll, I'll be reading a book like on the Kindle app on my iPad, and I'll, I'll make highlights and stuff, and then later on. I'll go to that same book in my Kindle, especially at night, because I don't want to read my iPad and all the blue light and bed and all that. I'll read the Kindle sometimes. But I'll, I'll, see the same, I'll see the highlight that I made on the app on my iPad. I'll see the same highlight that's there in my Kindle. Why? Because the two devices are synced. And what he's saying here is that if you are in Christ, that you are synced with Christ. That in a sense, what happened to Christ has happened to you. You are made alive with Christ. You are raised with Christ. You are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Now last week, we talked a little bit about the implication of that last thing, that we are now, we've been raised up and seated with Christ. Christ is ruling and reigning, sitting down. <laughs> He's very much in control. He's not stressed out about anything. He's not fearing anything. He's not intimidated by anything. No, he is, he is, he is seated there and in charge. But here's what you need to know. You're, you're with him. <laughs> you're seated with him, right? That, that means that in your 
life. You don't have to come unglued. You don't have to, you don't have to freak out you know, when, when, when challenges occur. Know who you are in Christ. You are with him, seated with him in the heavenly places. He, he's in control. He's got it. He's got whatever it is. But not only that, he's got you. He's got you. You're in him, seated with him. Look at verses eight and, eight and nine. Tells us kind of how all this happened. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. But Paul says here that this, this whole process, the entire process of salvation from beginning to end was grace. Even the faith to believe came to us as a gift. It's not something that we would, would have done on our own or could have done on our own. We were dead in sin. Tony Marita says this, faith is not a work, it is a gift. Notice that Paul says, it is God's gift. It includes faith. The grammar indicates that the whole of salvation is to be viewed as a gift. Grace is a gift, faith is a gift, salvation is a gift. We should never think of salvation as a transaction in which God provides grace and we provide faith. No, it's all grace. We were dead and had to be awakened to believe. And so look, every angle of boasting for us is cut off. You are not in Christ because you were smarter or wiser or more spiritually intuitive than your unsaved friend. You are in Christ because of grace. And so therefore, every angle of boasting is gone. It's all grace. Now what do we boast in? Jesus. Galatians 6, 14. Paul says, but as for me, I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verses eight and nine, he's going to great lengths to make it clear that our salvation is, is not by works. It's a gift. It's grace. But then in verse 10, he's talking about the role of works now in our lives as believers. And he says, therefore, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so here's the deal. Works are not the root of our salvation, but works are the fruit of our salvation. John Calvin once said that it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. In other words, if it's genuine saving faith, it's going to produce works. There's going to be a change. James tells us that, right? In the book of James, he says, faith without works is what? Dead, right? It's not real faith. If it's real faith, then it's going to produce works. Now, let's look at verse 10 again. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
In other words, works that reflect. We're his workmanship created for good works. In other words, our good works are to reflect who God is. The New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce says this, if those who belong to the old order were dead through their trespasses and sins, those who belong to the new creation are characterized by good works, works performed not to secure salvation, but as the fruit of salvation. They are the good works which reflect the character and action of God himself. Listen, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5, 16. Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In other words, we want it to be so that when people look at our lives, our works, our words, the way we say our words, all of that, okay? Um, our character, and, and that they would, see, they would see us, but instead of giving glory to us, they see who God is. Now in order for that to happen, we gotta tell them, right? We gotta tell them that anything, any change in our transformation in us is all grace, it's all what Christ has done. So we gotta share the gospel with people, right? Through our lips, but through our lives, we want them to see something of what God is like. My mom, who passed away in May of last year, was one of the godliest people that I knew. And she was 93 when she passed away. A lot of, a lot of people, um, if they don't know the Lord, can get worse with age. If they were, if they were like grumpy or whatever, or selfish or whatever before, it just gets worse as they, as they get older because all the self-control self is gone and, you know, and that kind of thing. But then there are people who, who, who love God and they're filled with the spirit of God and age seems to just, it seems like, it seems like the closer to heaven that they get, the more heavenly their character becomes. That was my mom. She grew more loving, more Christ-like, the older that she got. And even when she was, her body was hurting, she was dealing with some dementia and stuff, but there was a Christ-likeness and a, a love about her that just, that just grew as time went on. There was a time a year or two before she died when she fell, and so she had to go into a nursing home for uh, rehab. And so the day that she transitioned to the nursing home, she's under a lot of medication and stuff, and she you know, talking out of her head, she didn't know where she was. And so, so Jenny and I told her later on, Mama, you know, like you were out of it. You didn't, you know, you didn't know what you were saying. You didn't know where you were or, or anything. Well, then she started thinking about that, and she's like, oh, no, like what, what was I? <laughs> What was I like, you know? What, what on earth did I say? And she hadn't said anything really bad or anything like that, but it worried her. Um, and there was a young man who was in the nursing home who was kind of like the main person who was attending to her, young African-American man. 
Um, and they had they kind of built this relationship over the course of a few days. And she said to him one day, uh, and, and he had been he had been around her, so he knew what she was like. Very, he knew she was very loving, Christ-like person. He he'd come to see that. But she said to him, she said, "I just want you to know that." the day that I came in here, my kids tell me that I was talking out of my head. And she said, I just want you to know that if I said anything that was unkind, please forgive me. I, I, would, never, I would never do that in my right mind. I, I, Christ is my savior and I love God and I love people. And so if I said anything that was in, in any way unkind, would you please forgive me? And this young guy looked at her and he said, when I see you, I see Jesus. That's Matthew five sixteen. That's what we should each want. That when people look at our lives, who we are, our character, the way, the words that we speak, the way that we speak those words, all of that, that when they look at us, that they see something of what Christ is like and that they, that they want him, that they want him, that God gets the glory. Let's pray. Father, we pray for that in our lives, Lord. We know that we are created in Christ for good works, Lord, that our good works would shine, that our transformed character would shine, that, Lord, in the way that we conduct ourselves in all of our actions and the way that we speak and all of that, Lord, that people would see something in us and that they would want more of you. And we pray that you would give us the, the love and the boldness to tell people about you and that any difference in our lives is only because of you, because you brought us from death to life all by grace. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that is not yet in Christ. Pray for anyone who's watching this live stream or video at any point in the future who is, was not in Christ when we began to walk through this passage. Lord, I, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open the eyes of hearts right now to turn, to turn from trying to do life apart from Christ and to repent and place their faith in Christ alone. His, his death for our sins, his resurrection from the dead. And that Lord, you would cause people to, 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 to fall into his arms and to, to, to rest and rely on Christ alone and what he has done for us. Lord, grant new life. Bring people from death to life. For your glory, so we pray in Jesus' name. 
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.